Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me tonight is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I think week 18 is a kinked up hose after we've had weeks of like, we're just like, <laughs> we're shaming the NFL. We're like saying, oh, what a doldrum of games, all this. They just, it was a kinked up hose just waiting to explode week 18. That was, whoo, it had everything. You do the, the, the Bill Hader, the Saturday Night Live thing, the, the stuff on, like, that that week had everything. <laughs> really, that's that what game had everything. Like. That game we just watched had, had everything. everything. I mean, oh my god, uh, so much to dig into. A little bit of a different format today. Obviously, not as many games mattered. So we're just gonna kind of <laughs> go through. <laughs> we're gonna go through the games that did matter. We're gonna talk about the Colts game. Obviously, we're gonna talk about the Ra- uh, the Niners Rams game and what that means. We're gonna dig into the playoff seedings. Uh, kind of some initial impressions that we have of those, some of the news that happened today. But we're going to start with the game that just finished. I mean, I've it finished like 10 minutes ago. I'm still not cooled down. I'm still a little bit out of sorts after watching that. I was watching it upstairs in my living room, and then the feed was choppy. So I was watching it downstairs in the basement while the TV upstairs was going. I was like walking up and down the stairs, just pacing back and forth as all of these (laughs) plays were happening. I mean, an absolutely insane game. So let's get into all of it. Let's start with how it ended. Do you think, based on body language, what we've heard from Derek Carr, everything else, if the Chargers had not taken a timeout, do you feel like the Raiders would have just run it into the line again, ended the game, and both of these teams would be going to the playoffs? A a part of me wants to say yes, because just reading how it was going, it it really seemed like that the Raiders were just kind of going like, Hey, you stopped us again. Like, wink, wink. Like, hey, oh, looks like we have to try a 58-yarder. Like, kind of like really kind of trying to like say like, oh, we're trying. We're trying. That's what it kind of really felt like that. Because as soon as they crossed midfield, because Derek Carr made that great throw on third down, I want to say. Oh, incredible throw. Really good throw. And I was like, oh, okay. And then they also just went. First down, jam it to the line. Second down, jam it into the line. It was like, but it it really felt like, like it was happening. It really it felt, felt like, like a four it was minute happening. drill. Yes. Yeah. It felt like they were trying to burn that clock. And it was just, it was, yeah, I, that's what I read it as. And then when they took the timeout, they also went with a motion. They had a shift on it. And it was like, oh, okay, that was it. They were just, they, they were just totally shifted how they went after him. But yeah, it really felt like they were like, oh, we're trying wink, wink, nudge, nudge the entire time. I don't want to read too much into it. We've been prepping for this as some of the end of game interviews have happened. And I know he said it changed their mindset when Michelle Tavoy asked him after the game. Yeah. When if I don't when Derek Carr came to the sideline after they called the timeout, it kind of felt like he was like, All right, let's go for it. Like yeah, I, he's I, I it's it seemed like he responded in a way and said something when he was walking off. So we I don't want to play conspiracy theorists and there's just so many so different many, things, but so many. So uh, that is obviously going to be a huge talking point. It did feel like there there was a potential timeline 
over those last 45 seconds or so where they would have let that clock run out based on the decisions they had been making up to that point yeah. with the runs. We won't know. We won't know until more <laughs> comes out, until more people are talk- have been asked about it. Again, there will be press conferences, post-game interviews. We yeah. will learn more about that here over the next half hour or so. That's great. Let's talk about the game itself. So that throw that Carr makes to Zay Jones, I mean, that's a season-making throw. And he had a couple yeah. of those today. The Chargers had some incredible moments. We'll get to them. But the Raiders outplayed them in this game. Like The Raiders mm-hmm. were the better team tonight in a lot of different ways. Carr made enough throws in those big moments. And I thought the Raiders up front outplayed the Chargers kind of yes. on both sides of the ball, but especially when the Chargers had the ball. I thought the defining aspect of this game was how the Raiders' defensive line played. Yeah, and we can commend Justin Herbert for converting on all those fourth downs. And I'll just say Justin Herbert converting on all those fourth downs because it sure felt like that was the Chargers today, was the Los Angeles Justin Herberts and whatever you want to call them, because they had to get down to those fourth downs because the guys were dropping the ball. They were making it. The pass rush was getting home, especially against the right tackle, who they just refused to provide chip help against. <laughs> like, I just blew my mind that that just kept happening. And uh, But also, it was I agree. It was Max Crosby and the rest of the D-line, and then also the Raiders' offensive line, while at times – they can't, they can, in the run game, they're a little disappointing at times. You would think they'd just be a little bit better. But Josh Jacobs was making them right on yeah. so many of those runs. He because was great. Chargers weren't, yeah, Chargers weren't getting any, you know, penetration or the linebackers were overrunning or underrunning. And it just really felt like there's always a gap there. And Josh Jacobs found it. So it was like, yeah, they really just played a good game. Like the Raiders really played a good game while Justin Herbert played a good game for the Chargers. If you know, you know what I mean? It's like whole Raiders team versus just Justin Herbert and a couple other plays from other guys. But it was like, yeah, they played a good game and they they get a pass rush and that pass rush can take advantage of bad offensive lines. Like that's what they've done been able to do this entire season. It's never tailed off. And even in the run game, you know, there was the fourth and one that they went for with their own yep. 18. They got absolutely stuffed. Darius Phylon had some really nice moments. Not just him, though. Quentin Jefferson roasted Matt Fiwer yeah. at one point, you know, for a uh, pressure, almost a sack. I mean, every single one yeah. of those guys got it. Ngakwe on the first ra- Chargers drive against Rayshon yeah. Slater. I mean, there were every single guy up front for the Raiders had a moment today. And some of the guys in the back end, you know, Casey Hayward had the pick. I, I thought that Brandon Faison had some really nice moments in coverage. I mean, they were making yeah. it hard on the Chargers. It was they had to get by by the skin of their teeth to get that into overtime. Yeah. So looking at it right now. In the fourth quarter and overtime, according to Next Gen stats, all those four downs that the Chargers converted, a one in 8,000 chance, 0.01% for them to get all of those. And guess what? Justin Herbert is a 0.01% quarterback in some of those moments. That touchdown throw to Mike Williams is insane. Him drifting to his left and just letting that thing rip. I mean, a one in an 8,000 sort of throw and he's a one in 8,000 sort of player. I wish he had more help tonight. I know it's the, like the 1% of the 1%. That's what, that's the throw that he makes. That's what exactly what that was. I mean, he had the fourth and 21 touchdown throw that when you're just talking about the throw right before it, just up and over, like uh, just like, (laughs) just putting it right on the money. Mike. And that, that commends also uh, a, commendable to the Raiders DBs for making it so tough on Mike Williams. They were playing their hands through yeah. the entire night. The whole night. I mean, that's tough catches everywhere. Night. There were not yep. a lot of easy plays to be made any on, on this, on the field for the chargers, the entire game. It's, but it's, it speaks to what Justin Herbert does that they get into third and 15 plus and they're, and it's almost like scarier to be on defense. Like, 
Oh boy, we took the top off. Let's see, let's see how far this ball's gone. But some of those throws, he, I mean, the two point conversion was insane. Yeah. Like just being able to get through it. He's getting tackled. I mean, that's just a stick concept because uh, Joe Lombardi, like, they go for it on fourth down so much, and he just calls quick. He calls stick or spacing. Like I would say three out of four times that he calls them. It's like so. It's like. I, I like what they're doing going for it on fourth down, but it's very up those calls because you're becoming very, very predictable on them. But they run the double, the mirrored stick and freaking Herbert gets all the way through it and just getting tackled and hits Eckler in the flat. It's like, oh my God, like it just, he could do it all. And that, I mean, just speaks to what performance he put on because he truly took on the whole team by himself. It felt like at times. Yeah. I mean, the right side of the Chargers offensive line has been an issue all year. It was an issue again yep. today. And Again, the the Charger, the Raiders' off defensive line, the Raiders' defensive front controlled the game. This was, I think, really a reminder of who has carried the Raiders this year. I mean, Max Crosby was a consistent force mm-hmm. over the second half of the of this game, working against Storm Norton. He's been fantastic this year. Led the NFL in pressures, according to PFF, coming into this game. He had another monster day. Hunter Renfro yep. was incredible in some big moments yep. again. And I think if you look at those guys, kind of lifting the Raiders in those moments. It's a reminder of what this Raiders season has looked like. I mean, what they have overcome and just how many different things have affected them over the course of the year that they have <laughs> have no control over, right? I mean, they're, whether it's you know John Gruden's is self-inflicted or not, his players didn't have control over it. These are things that happened to this team and happened to an interim head coach in Rich Passaccia. Now this team is going to the playoffs. Yeah, and they've had some good wins against some you know pretty good teams. It's not like they just got by playing backups and playing third stringers. They've competed every week. Like even some of their losses, like it's they were in it. Like it's not like this team has just been bent over, like uh, you know, like folded over week after week. It's like no, they're actually performing, performing. Like Derek Carr has truly helped them out. Like actually throwing their guys open. Like they have a whole bunch of Darren Waller coming back as so number one, but almost those number two, number three types, and he's performing with them the offensive line isn't perfect but they compete and then the defense even for some of the inefficiencies i would say that they have every week they make it tough if as long as they don't play the chiefs <laughs> it's like every week they make it tough on the other offense like they just have they have their own identity and it's worked for them but yeah i mean it speaks to the whole franchise i mean that they're able to kind of like keep churning out wins they they didn't fold they could have easily folded the tent and no one would have blamed them whatsoever everybody like oh let's move on to whoever they end up with the coach Harbaugh, it looks like, but we'll talk about that later. But just any of that, like they just, nope, they just competed like they're a playoff team. And now they are like, that's props to them. Just another feather in the cap in what has been a legendary, like truly legendary career for Rod Marinelli. The fact that this group (laughs) is playing at this level. And again, guys having career years, it feels like he's been doing this for 30 years. And you know, that group, that group, had been really disappointing, right? Like that was the area of this Raiders team that had underachieved the most over the last few mm-hmm. seasons. And you look at what they are now compared to what they were a couple years ago, where this was their biggest weakness after the Feral pick didn't work out. And then yep. they go get in Max Crosby has this incredible breakout season in the yep. midst of a pretty remarkable bit of self-improvement and just yep. on his part and just working on everything that he had to go through. It's impressive. It's impressive. And they kind of yeah, deserve is. this moment, even though Justin Herbert had these flashes of brilliance. Again, I thought that for four quarters and change tonight, 
in what has been one of the wildest games I think I've ever seen in my entire life, the Raiders are probably the better team. They got some lucky breaks, right? You get the pass interference penalty at the end of the half that is kind of a phantom call. Joey Bosa has the sack that easily could have been recovered by the Chargers, but they scored a touchdown later on anyway. So the bounces of the ball absolutely could have gone the way, but Austin Eckler makes that play early in the first half where the ball was tipped to him on third down. This this stuff all comes out in the wash. I thought that the team scrambling more often today was the Chargers. And in the end, yes. the Raiders ended up winning. Yeah, I agree. Especially when the Raiders were on the ball, it felt like this one after another that something was popping. Holding on for dear life. Like, that's kind of what it yep, felt like. Even those last it. couple drives in overtime, I mean, obviously, Carr makes that huge third down throw, but it yeah. felt like they were kind of grabbing on and holding on for dear life oh, as Josh Jacobs was running down the field. It's never good when you're noting uh, the DB's, DB's tackling ability yes, because that means yes. they have to tackle God, it's over been a and thing over. all year for the Chargers, though, right? I mean, just <laughs> yep. the Nasir Adderley That's how you know they're safety so well. at him in space <laughs> on that long run. I mean, it's oh those last God. couple plays. I mean, again, the third down throw was obviously huge, but he had the, fir- the first chunk play they had to Brian Edwards to start that drive. Yep. You start that with a 17-yard completion, there's a good chance yep. you're going to be able to get into a field goal range on that play. So credit yep. goes to the Raiders. Again, I think that tough spot for the Raiders now facing a decade of Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes, and this is a reminder of that, that even on in moments that should be yours, even in games that seem like they might be sewn up late, when you're up by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, now you got to deal with two of these monsters that will Four never, ever go away. They will never, Four ever go away. Year. Four games a year. And that is a rough place to be. But guess what? Right now, that does not matter. The Raiders are going yep. to the playoffs, and they earned every single bit of it. Yeah. It's 17 games now. You're not squeaking in now. <laughs> well, we're actually going to talk about another team that might have squeaked in a little bit. But but yeah, no, it's four games a year that they no lead is safe now. They got, I mean, Michael Myers and the Terminator now. Like that's what they got. Four games every year. I'm, I'm many 80s movie references I can get in here onto this podcast. We'll see. Do you want <laughs> any sort of postmortem here on the Chargers season and kind of what needs to happen from here? We touched on it a little bit after they lost to the Texans and just where their defense was at. I mean, it just feels like Obushi's a free agent, I believe. Balaga probably won't be back. That right side of the line needs to be handled, right? It's not as if they're immediately getting a couple guys back there and we assume it's going to be fine. But you're looking at Lindsley, Filer, Slater all coming back. You need to handle that right side of the line. And then on defense, they need to figure out what those role players are going to look like in the front seven. You know, yes. it, with their first round pick, with you know guys in free agency. I was joking a couple of days ago. You know, Sebastian Joseph Day, who did it for Staley last year, he's a free agent. Like guys yeah. like that, those are not going to be the sexiest additions that you can make. But those feel like the types of players the Chargers nice. need. I mean, even at linebacker today, Kenneth Murray yeah. had a lot of moments today where he's running flailing towards somebody in space. He got the huge pass interference penalty. They missed say Jones on another play where he was running down the middle of the field early in the game. So it just feels like those types of cohesive additions on defense are going to be the biggest focus they have this off season. But again, I think the first season with Brandon Staley, the second season with Justin Herbert, like a true coming out party for him. It's hard to not be optimistic about what the next, however many years of the franchise are going to look like. We always want the upgrades to be the A, the A listers, the stars, but going from a D to a B minus is still a big improvement. This like, team has stars. A, yeah. This team has it, stars. So what they don't have no, is no, the I second mean, tier guys. 
That's I'm, what I'm, I'm saying. talking about the role play, role yes. playing types, the, going from D's to B minuses, just at those types. Like that, that, I'm just trying to say to Chargers fans, it might not be sexy what you do this offseason, but you have your your guys. Like now, you have to fill out the rest of the roster. You need speed at receiver, but that's fine. You can find role playing speed guys, and you can find front seven guys on the cheap. Like it's not like nose tackles and interior linebackers. Like you have to, you can find them. And that's that's exciting because you have number ten at quarterback for forever because he's always going to keep you in every single game. And then it's like, okay, now we just got to find role players as opposed to, man, how do we find a pass rusher? How do we find a quarterback? How do we find a game a game changing safety? Like, oh man, how do we find a possession receiver? It's like, no, you're finding the the, the auxiliary guys, the complementary pieces. And that's that's a good place to be. And that's kind of what we thought this spring when we kind of were talking about each AFC West team. We kind of. Really, it's come full circle. We're like, we know Justin Herbert's exciting. They got some fun pieces on defense, but they need this and this. And yep, <laughs> exactly the same answer. And the quarterback is even better than we imagined he would have been. Right? Yes. Like, I mean, he's, he's even better than that. <laughs> and now, plus. <laughs> if you're starting with that, it's not a bad place to be to say we need some role players here because that's exactly what it feels like they need. All right. Let's get to another game that was hugely important today and late in the afternoon slate. The Niners come back and win a monstrous game over the Rams, win their way into the NFC playoffs. I mean, it just felt like this was such a window into where the Niners have these strange strengths, right? I mean, just their offense and the way they kind of chipped away at that in the second half. And we'll talk about him in a second, but what Debo Samuel did, I mean, just George Kittle as a blocker on some of those plays. I mean, the, yep. the screen to Debo where Juszczyk picked off the one guy and Kittle just wipes out the other DB. What? I mean, it's and even screen. <laughs> on that drive where they were just continuously like chewing off yards in the run game, what he was doing on some of those perimeter runs. And they did all of this without Trent Williams. And I just feel like yep. it was a really impressive. We talk about resilience with the Raiders kind of sign of we're not going away from this Niners team without the best player on their offense and a quarterback whose hand was falling off and still somehow they managed to put this together in the second half. Yeah. The, like the, how they just using Debo Samuel is so cool. Like it's confidence, like within their offense, like they're like, we know what we are. Like the fact that they were going to Jennings so many times, like really spoke to like, they had a plan and it's like really cool to see a plan kind of play out, especially in the second half. Once I think they honed in on it, they, the plan was just throw away from Jalen Ramsey's side. <laughs> like that's that's kind of what they started going to. Like we'll talk about it in a minute, I'm sure. But also just in the run game, like they're using Debo Samuel on freaking counter run plays and just like straight up run normal run plays. And then they have um, Eli Mitchell as the lead blocker and just that be able to switch these guys and also get to all this stuff on first, second or third down. It, it, that's pretty cool. Like they run stuff on third and four that some teams only run on first and ten. Like they, they're getting to this different. So you kind of every defense, okay, we might have this awesome blitz package on third downs. Well, throw that out of the window because they might run freaking zone against us. They might run split zone <laughs> with Kittle slicing across and they have to hand it and they're handed off the Debo. And that's the thing. If you want to go man coverage, what that all does is if they go man coverage, and all right, I, I, I'm putting my number one corner, I'm putting Jalen Ramsey on Debo Samuel, I'm marking him number one the entire game. What if he's in the box now in the backfield? What do you do with your defensive structure? So guys just have to communicate constantly. And that's what you can just see the strain they're they putting on the Rams. The touchdown to Jennings, the, the dig uh, in the red zone. They ran a speed motion right at the snap. And two Rams defenders are flying. They ran fast. I'll give them that credit. They were fast to the flat. But two of them went at the same time. 
And that's what it does. Even smart players, their brains pop. Just they, they're it's instinct sometimes. That's why that's why you practice. So it becomes second nature. And sometimes you just get that one miscommunication and even Jimmy G can hit the end breakers. Like that's the thing. It's like, he is an NFL quarterback. He's going to find those and hit those. And yeah, I feel like this, this is a team that just has confidence in their identity right now. And this is just talking about their offense because their defensive front is playing like monsters right now. Yeah. I mean, the play you're talking about that Jennings touchdown Debo went in like an orb motion behind the backfield and him sprinting to the flat. You had two guys pulled up there. There were other plays today. I mean, the little whip that Jennings had late on a big third down on that right side, Kittle was running off. I mean, the space that Kittle can create as a tight end on plays like that, the gravity of those guys, those are the plays where Jennings really showed up today. So having a role player kind of take advantage of those openings created by those star level players on this team is big. And so let's talk about their defense a little bit because – I totally agree. I mean, watching Bosa in those moments and then DJ Jones had a big sack today. Huge. I game. mean, it's yep. those guys, that group has really lifted them because they've had yep. so much uncertainty at corner at times this year and their front has really dominated in stretches. Armstrong, Armstrong had a huge sack in the second half. Yeah. I mean, that group, it, it really does feel like I want to, we'll talk about the offense a little bit in a second, but if you're going to play this team in the playoffs, your fear is that they have elite players and important positions on offense and that their front can take over a game. That is not the worst formula to bring into a playoff game. Especially in the playoffs. Yes. yes. I mean, they're about to play Dallas, who has been very up and down, especially on yep. offense at times this year. If they can just win with four consistently against that Dallas offensive line that has not it's been formula. That's not a bad way have to that's not a bad way to approach yep. a playoff game. It's not a bad little recipe to be able to tap into and seeing like <laughs> like the rant or i'm sorry the 49ers defense kind of like they what's so nice when they you can move guys around when okay your end player like an armstead can move across the d-line like they can find the fish as uh, i think that's what a lot of d-line coaches like to call it uh so they put them over the ram center and they're just going like hey your length doesn't matter like they found an advantage that they wanted and armstead was just abusing it just because he's just he's so much longer than the ram center who's not a bad player but he's limited and that's the thing it was just you just pound it they found the matchup and they're just like okay there it is hit it hit it hit it 15 times in a row and it, like it's gonna pop and that's what's scary actually in that cowboys matchup i know we're gonna talk about the matchups in a bit but it was like with the cowboys matchup is i know who their fish is it's the left guard and now you have Armstead that's able to shift inside on that. It's like, I'm sure it might be a long day for him and, and whether it's McGovern or Williams. So it's it's being able to have these guys, not just Bosa being an f- absolute monster on the outside, but having the other guys that can move inside and out. We have him at nose, have him at three tech, have him, have him over to tackle, have him over the left guard, wherever they want to find the matchups. They can just hit him over and over and over and make all the passing downs really, really hard on offenses because you can't get to your fun stuff because now you have to chip. <laughs> now you have to provide inside help. Like it, you take away a tool from offenses to use and you saw it kind of creep up as this game went along really after Sean McVay came out to midfield to do the DX crotch shop and, and what else that he was doing <laughs> after that turning point, it seemed like the foreign airs, a, a switch got flipped. Do you have any reservations, any more reservations now about the Rams coming out of that game? Or do you feel like this is kind of who they are? That's kind of what it felt like to me. Like you're going to have those are. moments where Cup has that back-to-back sequence oh on that touchdown drive. <laughs> really, I just loved what they were doing on that, by the way. I mean, on beautiful. 
on the third down, on the third and six, when he hit the slot fade, I want to say it was a bunch to that side. And the way that they had it constructed against man coverage, Ward was on him. So that's just by alignment. Yep. You have a safety on him in that moment, which is great. And then on the touchdown, yep. they ran a little switch release down there where Higby was the number three, but went to the flat number, yeah, number three, but yeah. went to the flat. Yep. And then cup was the furthest outside receiver, but then released inside and then back inside, to the corner, inside which stem. was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it was just the ways that they put him in those situations are incredible. And then you have that aspect to your passing game. And then you have Matthew Stafford throwing one, two, three balls a game that absolutely terrify you. It's like the yes. no, 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 no plays with him yeah. are a little bit too frequent right now. So that's kind of yes. what it is. I mean, you have that combination of stuff with this offense, and it just feels like this is who they are. Like this is who they're yep. going to be. You just have to hope the ratio is in your favor. When you get to a yes. playoff game here, when you play the Cardinals it's, next week, a game I'm hoping every to game's be a at, punch by in. the way, it's a punch out. <laughs> you're hoping, you're just hoping that again, it's you're hoping the ratio looks like it did you're the going last to that time they played the Cardinals. I'm hoping I am. That's, oh, sweet. that's my plan. That's, that's awesome. But that, but that's it. it. It's it's haymaker battle. That's all it is. It, it's all right. One of us is getting knocked out, and that's every fight with the Rams. That's what it's going to be. All right, we're we have stars, and let's see what you can do against us. We're going to have some stupid plays that you just want to pull your hair out. But then we're going to like that sequence is so freaking awesome at the end. I like the Ramsey answer. It was just the Rams stars just exploded all at once, like all all yeah. in a row. The Rams Ramsey interception, which was probably one of the top interceptions of the year. What like a crazy of, play A crazy play because he got the tip too. Yes. And then he tipped, tipped it to himself, himself three like, times. Oh. It was like it was Randy Moss's first touchdown. There's some Viking fans that remember that. Brad Johnson underthrew it against the Bucks and he pulled it up to himself. The same exact thing. But then they went cup jet sweep on first down, went for like 15 yards. The the Cooper Cup third down. They run the little run play with Cooper Cup and they fold him in like a full. That was beautiful. Which was insane. And then you had the touchdown. And then the next time the 49ers got the ball, it was the it was Von, Von Miller, Miller sack. sack. Yeah. It was just like, okay, I see your formula. I see your formula working right now. <laughs> but then you see the blemishes when the 49ers on the flip side go, okay, we're just going to spam against your nickel that you we know can't cover. Or the the guy, the fourth DB or the other DB that's in, that's not Ramsey in the slot. Because this is this is like my one way to kind of summarize like the Rams a little bit. It's like you see the stars, they do some nice stuff on offense and defense. But then like on defense, they're having Ramsey cover Debo Samuel one-on-one. That's why I brought it up. They were running one robber. Okay, why I want to bring this up, because it's just like a little lack of detail that kind of bugs me with this team, is when the Patriots run, they're covered one double stuff. They have the two guys identify your number one target, and they have two guys that double them, and then they put their number one corner on a different guy, on yes. the number two target. Okay, that's their way of getting out your number two option, your top two options out of the game. The Rams run one robber. They have Ramsey covering Debo Samuel, but then they have the robber coming down that basically becomes like an inside bracket on them. So now you're kind of like, no, you use Ramsey to take him out and you put the double somewhere else. And that was when Dion was on Jennings on all of those plays. So there's picking on Dion yep. in those moments in man coverage in high leverage spots because they're wasting yep. somebody. And yep. and that's just like the little details that matter. Once when some good teams exploit them, they like exploit them. And guess what? That's what the playoffs are. Just pounding away on those matchups. And that is where you can hurt the Rams, right? Like their secondary yep. depth is not very good across the board. This is not the group that it was last year. And I think that you saw that show up in a couple different spots today. I want to talk a little bit more about Debo Samuel. And I want to talk about him as part of the State Farm surprisingly great performance of the week presented by State Farm. It's not that Debo Samuel was surprisingly good today. 
We expect him to be good at this point. Yes, this is do. a season-long award. He has been surprisingly great all season yep. because I just was not ready for him to be this sort of player. The play I want to talk about, I mean, that play late in the game where he's coming up the right sideline and where Jimmy puts that ball and the fact that he could stop, spin, redirect, and take that thing 20 more than he was supposed to, every single time it touches the ball, he touches the ball right now, it feels like something dynamic is going to happen. Like It doesn't matter if he's a receiver, and that's a down-the-field play that he still rips off 20 yards after the catch as part of that entire sequence. That stuff isn't supposed to happen. You're not supposed to take a vertical route 20 more yards after the ball is in your hands. Every time he touches the ball as a runner right now, just like you said, the ways that they can create numbers on the perimeter when they have him in that spot is amazing. And then off that play, we've seen how many times, dozens of times this season, when they're trying to get him on the perimeter from one of those split gun looks, they throw a touchdown today as a little bit of a wrinkle on it. I mean, it is hard to affect the game in more ways, runner, receiver, thrower, and gravitational pull than Debo Samuel affected the game today and has for most of the season for this team. Yeah, it we talked about on the all pro show. It was he's not just some gadget guy. And I actually I think the I think even Joe Joe Buck or Aikman or whatever's commented on that. He's not just a gadget guy. He actually does the real receiver stuff. And it's like, that's exactly right. Wait, way to go, Troy. But it's like they right before the half, they ran like a hook and ladder. Yeah. I, I like to not call it the millennial hook and ladder because it's on the outside. So they they pitched it and Debo gets to the edge. Not only gets to the edge, he gets north. And it, like I think it turned to like an eight or nine yard gain. That play should have been one or two yards. But it's because he has so much explosive ability and balance. He, he's we, We've talked about how he's just like, it's deceiving how much room that he can, like how much room grows when he has the ball, like from the other defenders, because it doesn't look like he's straining. But he does all the receiver stuff, all three levels. They don't throw deep much to him just because of their offense system, but just the underneath stuff, every time he catches a screen, every underneath throw, all those in breakers, everything just is, can be explosive play. And he's like actual, it's not like just like they, you know, highly gimmick and highly everything. He catches everything is in the flow of the play. And that's a real receiver. It's just that like he's one of the most incredible weapons in the league right now. It's, it's, yeah, it has been a surprisingly great. We've been excited about what he can do, but the fact that he can do this play in, play out now and all these different ways, the fact they're running legit running back plays for him now, counter, just straight up shotgun counter Why not? to him. Why not? I know. Just and devise awesome. as many different ways to get him the ball in his hands as you possibly can. It's, and I think it's what so you simple said. sometimes, right? <laughs> and that it's, but that's what I love about this offense. And it goes back to what you said a little bit earlier. They are totally in tune with what they are for better or for worse, right? Yeah. yeah. Jimmy had <laughs> yeah. some really nice moments today with the game on the line playing hurt. And yeah. I think that we should acknowledge that, right? Like sometimes yep. we're a little bit hard on him because we expect so much of this offense because of what it can be in our minds. Yeah. But today, respect to Matt Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and like this version of it, every once in a while when you have those head scratching interceptions, which you're going to have, right? I mean, that's part of just what you get with him. It's it's mm-hmm. part of doing business when Jimmy Garoppolo is. is your quarterback right now. <laughs> but he made some huge throws late in the game. But they understand what he is. And I think at times yeah. that dictates who they are offensively. But their yeah. real sense for what they want to be and how to put their players in the best positions to succeed with the talent that they have makes them dangerous. And what really excites me, I would have hated 
to see them go out because of a sequence where McKivitz gets beat by Von Miller. Like the fact that Trent Williams didn't play in this game and it almost did them in, that bums me out. Now yeah. I get to see this team at full strength with all of those stars against that Dallas team. And yes. I want to see that. Like that is a get too. your popcorn sort of game. And I'm happy yeah. that we get that. I'm happy that Trent Williams, the game he missed this week, is not going to be the reason that I just don't make the playoffs. I completely agree with that. You know, like an old video game fighting fighting game they have like da, 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 da. like they have the guys matching up <laughs> yes. that's what this feels like just all the stars like five on five in the fighter pose like that's exactly what this feels like i know i i'm we we said it weeks and weeks ago that the best version of the playoffs mc playoffs has a 49ers in it so i'm so glad that that came to fruition because we didn't get the chargers so might as well get one of our team, one of these teams in there that we can like enjoy what they do and how they win and just and they're playing their best ball right now which is fun All right, guys, remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote today. Speaking of teams that we thought the best version of the playoffs would include them, the Colts today, uh, that's about as embarrassing of a loss as you can endure. This was not fluky. They got outplayed in this game for most of the game. I mean, they got beat in areas where they cannot get beat. There's a lot to dig into here. I mean, just your initial reactions about this game and just kind of how you were feeling as you were watching it unfold. Can't wait to watch my seventh game of Jaguars all 22. Like that's, (laughs) (laughs) that was my first thought, but really it was stunning to just see the Colts kind of get beat up. Like, so weird. weird. Like, okay. One short, that's the thing about short yardage. We have this misconception that it's like, oh, the best offenses get 100%. It's like if you get 60 to 70%, you're pretty happy in short yardage. But kind of like you get one of those, okay, okay, that happens. But then just continuously every like high variance run or high or high leverage run just getting their asses kicked. Like it was just like a boom, 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 boom. And then it was like a tackle. And like it wasn't like one of those where it's like, oh, that's taking – oh, he probably got the first there. He fell forward. You know, Jonathan Taylor at 230 pounds. But it was, yeah, it was, it was, that was startling to watch. And then, of course, Trevor Lawrence was playing how his process is shown throughout this year. I mean, but they were letting him have time and he was able to move in the pocket. And when he wasn't able to, uh, like, find time in the pocket, he was breaking contain. I don't know. The Colts team just seemed very, like, held back. Like, it felt like they were just playing, playing, don't, you know, screw up ball. I mean, they came out flat. I mean, that's an overused term, but like, they came out extremely flat. All the clowns in the sand screwed them up. Well, I, I think, think that probably has a little bit of a part in it, right? Where you have this team that's dead in the water that has yep. become a laughing stock, and that inevitably yep. will seep into how you're yes. going to approach this sort of game. So I'll, let's take a step back here, okay? There's a lot of a lot of people. <laughs> there's, lots. there's a lot of people <laughs> reacting to this very strongly, okay? And yeah. I there are plenty of strong reactions to be had. This is an embarrassing loss for the Colts. Like this is an mm-hmm. unacceptable way to come out in a game where you are a two touchdown favorite to dictate your playoff fate. You cannot come out like this. That being said, okay? Everyone take a breath. Okay? <laughs> Everyone take a deep breath and just step back and calm down for a second. That does not negate <laughs> what the Colts were all season, all right? Coming into this year, what I thought the Colts were going to be is a pretty good team that was not yet a contender. That was a step away and an off-season away. And this was about kind of seeing what this version of them looked like now that they had committed to it. Right? I want to get to that in a second. 
but I never thought this team was going to be a Super Bowl contender this season. No. One of the reasons midseason when it felt like they might have a chance was more about everyone else than it was about the Colts, okay? It was the fact that there hadn't been a real favorite that had emerged in the AFC or anywhere that you said, oh man, like this team is decidedly better than the Colts because during that stretch, they were beating the shit out of teams. Like this game today does not change the the fact (laughs) that they went on the road and smacked the Bills. It doesn't change the fact that they beat up the Patriots at home. They beat the Cardinals with half of their team out seemingly. Tip for tat with the Bucs. Yes. Shot for shot with the Bucs. This is a really good team. If you look at this, three times in the last four years, they came into this game ninth in weighted, excuse me, seventh in weighted DVOA. It felt like this team was going to be a top 10 team by DVOA and just metrics that you can look at for the third time in four years. The one year they weren't going to was when Andrew Luck retired on the eve of the season. This is a solid team. It's a very well-coached team, in my opinion. The body of work is very, very good. Both. Just watch the Patriots game. Yeah, Frank Just Reich, like, Matt Eberflus, the, the staff, yeah. they have done a very good job. That being said, I think that this game is a reminder of why we thought before the season that there were still steps to take. If you look at what this game is, they got beat up front in a way this team cannot get beat up front when you look right. at the way their resources are allocated. Okay? Yes. They have the they're, they're number one offensive line spending team in the league this season. Number one, Eric Fisher was getting whipped early in this game. At a, at a certain point, he came out. Matt Pryor was in the game at left tackle. Yeah. That is a bet that did not work for them ultimately. In the end, yep. that bet they made on Eric Fisher did not work out. He is now a free agent this offseason. Mark Lewinsky is a free agent this offseason at right guard. There are spots for them to fill there. That unit that they were really leaning on, like this is who we are offensively, ultimately let them down in the biggest moments. If you look at the other side of the ball, they did not invest in their defensive line in the way that was necessary. I know they spent early round picks on it. They picked Quiddy Pay in the the first round. Their second round pick, they knew he was not going to be ready. He was not a major contributor this year. They were second to last in pressure rate this season in the NFL. Yeah, it felt like it. The Falcons were dead last. The Colts were 31st. And you could feel that. DeForest Buckner is a star. If you look at it, his double team rates are Aaron Donald-like this year because no one else on that line takes up attention. No one else deserves respect. So this team that's supposed to be able to win up front, they did not have those areas by the end of this season. Okay, They let Danico Autry walk in free agency. They let Justin Houston walk in free agency. They did not replace those guys with a veteran presence they could rely on, and it ended up hurting them. So those are bets that didn't work out. I still have a lot of faith in the process that has gone through there, in the coaching that has gone through there, in the core of players that I have that they have. I always thought they were an offseason away from really being a contender. Here is the caveat to all of this. They've made their quarterback bet. Yep. There is no, man, maybe with another offseason, if we add another dynamic pass catching option, if we try to go get a top tier corner, those are the things that, yeah, that makes sense. Like that should be part of whatever this future plan looks like. They have committed, they committed real resources to the quarterback. For as yes. much faith as you might have in what Frank Reich is a coach, and I have a lot of faith in that, his faith in Carson Wentz and the move they made to get him because of Frank Reich's belief in Carson Wentz is now going to become a potentially complicated situation. That, even if we have faith in other aspects 
of what they've done and who they've been, I think that this is going to be a really naughty situation now because they have committed to this. And what does their ceiling look like? It's the same conversation and the same whispers that we were hearing in the backs of our minds while watching Wentz over the last six weeks. It's just come faster than I thought it was going to. <laughs> yes. It was you would think they found the formula with it, but then it's just like he can't help but just do it's something. Who he like is. Just have that it's just who he is. He's gonna turn thirty, I think. I think he's twenty nine at this point. This is what you are. And you get to a certain point. There's only so much that you know, room for growth. But it's just even like, okay, some of the the results aren't great, aren't all the time. It's a lot of the processing stuff, just making so many bad plays worse. And it's a team that, I mean, just how they're built defensively and building through the line and the run game is that's not how you want that team to be. Like this isn't a defense that's going to get the ball back right away. They're more of a bend. I mean, they they changed, they adapted a little bit with they, they do create this year. turnovers, but for the most yes. part, yes, you're right. They're not, it's not the big, well, the pressure rate and stuff. They're not going to like have this, okay, boom, three and out on third and 17 because they got a sack, all that stuff. It's more like they're going to make it, the offense make a mistake at the right time, but it's all that calculated stuff. They feel like a calculated team, and that starts at the top. That's just what they feel like. And then you just throw this chaos ball that Wentz is. And like even the pick that he had the, on the sale route today, his whole body, if you watch it, is telling him not to throw it. Like he's about to throw the corner, and then he just like, his body goes, don't like it, like shimmies. And and one of the best coaches I've been around, Paul Chris, he taught, let your feet tell you when to check it down. Let your feet tell you when you're late. His feet are always a mess, it was, though. Epitome. That's exactly that's exactly what I was getting to, is because his feet are always so off and out of rhythm. You can tell when it's gonna be like a good Wentz game or a bad Wentz game, like right away. Because as soon as those feet get super wide and he's doing the kind of double hitch stuff, it's like, oh no, oh no, like you're holding on to your hat that it's some broken play because now everything's off time. That's why so many balls just seem contested on stuff because it's the defenders have a time to break on it. Nothing feels kind of in rhythm. And that's scary. This isn't some 24-year-old retread that's like, oh, man, he was a backup before and we're giving him his first chance. This isn't some young guy that's just getting in his third season. It's, you know, he's had plenty of starts in an offense that he knows. And it's not like the Philip Rivers situation last year where it's like, oh, we'll see what goes on after this one year. It's like, no, it's like you said. I mean, this the bed's been made and this is what they have to sleep in now. This, this is, is it. it. This, this is no like yeah. Darius Leonard's on a second deal. Braden Smith's on a second deal. This team, I think, is like 12th in offensive line spending for next year. They don't have a right guard or a left tackle. That's with yeah. just three guys signed to contracts. With no first was, round pick. I think hmm. it was Michael Kiss today tweeted out it was a, a Wentz joke and he was saying Carson Wentz playing the oh, Jaguars it's like don't worry about it don't worry about it just check it down just be calm you're playing the Jaguars yeah. Carson Wentz's brain and it's like a donut drumming that's exactly yeah. what it feels like he just yeah. cannot help himself in some of these moments so this is my issue is that I feel like the core of players they have the core of talent they have the way they play the way this team has been assembled the way this team is coached I love all of it like I, I just I have real true faith in it and I think yeah. they've done a really, really good job. I also think that the bet they made on Carson Wentz in part because of the goodwill that Frank had, Reich had built up because of the job he had done might have been a bad bet and it might yeah. do them in. Both of those things can be true at the same time. Right. Like They've done yeah. a really good job building aspects of this roster and building who they are and you've seen it in these moments this year. But they've also committed to a quarterback with real resources, with real financial and draft capital resources in a world where they could have done other things. And mm -hmm. now it's possibly boxed them in. 
You know, next yep. year he's going to make, I think, $22 million. He's going to be the quarterback next year. People talking about how much money he's owed, whatever. He's going to be the quarterback next year. What happens if it's if it doesn't work out next year? And if yeah. it doesn't work out next year and you've sunk your first-round pick, your third-round pick, you spent two years with this core committed to Carson Wentz, yeah. there is a chance that this does them in, that this ultimately will spoil years they've had with yeah. what we think is a really promising core and a really, really good coach. And it might be because of this bet that they made on the quarterback. An understandable bet, right? I can yeah. understand why he wanted him. I can understand why they thought they could get more out of him. But watching that today, that's the problem. Their lack of aggressiveness in some areas with not having a secondary receiving option, deciding it was T.Y. Hilton, yeah. with not going out and getting another pass rusher, with, again, yeah. a really expensive offensive line that didn't work out. But it, yeah. it feels like there's still steps to be taken, but the the, the cast the, the die is cast with the quarterback, and that is the frustrating yeah. part about this if you're a Colts fan. Yeah, they crossed the quarterback Rubicon. That's <laughs> that's what they did. I mean, that does, I mean it is. It, it really is. It's... The last season was the last offseason. I'm going to keep saying this whole offseason too is that that was the year to get a quarterback. And then this was the bet they made. This was their, this was their answer on all the paths they could have taken. And that it is what it is. Like this is the chaos that they're going to like live in for this next year. Cause it's also all these other guys are getting a year older, you know, like you just don't know. Now it's just like all these young pieces. I mean, they had, it's not just me and you that love all the Colts players. They have what seven pro bowlers. Like it's like, this is a team that has guys like legit guys at some good spots, but. This is the way they went. And this there is, is a chance, and- right, that this version that we love, that with Naheem Hines and Michael Pittman and you know the yeah. core they have on defense, this kind of whatever, this band that we loved seeing at 1,500-person yeah. you know, theaters yeah. or ballrooms, there's yeah. a chance that they're never going to become like an arena I, rock band, right? Like sometimes yeah. teams can't that take $20 that $20 ticket was great. Yeah. That, I loved them at the, I loved them at the $20 price point, but once you see them in a stadium, you're like, Ooh, and you know, it, we never expected them to be that this year. We didn't need them yeah. to sell out radio city music hall this year, <laughs> but next year that was the yeah. hope. And when you watch yeah. a game like that today, it starts to cast out about that step happening and whether or not they're going to have the ability to do that with this quarterback, with this makeup. All right, let's look at the playoffs and let's look at what these games look like. Okay, Titans obviously have a bye in the AFC. The Chiefs will now host the Steelers on Sunday night. How you feeling, buddy? Come on, like just come on. I no one was cheering for the tie more than me, and it's just God. Even watching that game, I was trying to give it my due diligence and watch a little bit of it. It's just like seeing all those little. RPO quick out routes and Big Ben throwing his hands up, blaming the receiver, or blaming the ref for not calling another contested catch because he's throwing RPOs. And I don't know. I I, I guess I get to watch TJ Watt and make a fist patch. I was that's I, what I was gonna fun. say. Their that'll defense has definitely, and since they've gotten healthier, their defense has yeah. gotten pretty good. The fact that yep. they needed to really squeak by in a game against Tyler Huntley and this show of a Ravens team that we've had to watch over the last six weeks is not all that encouraging. I was shocked when I looked up the numbers today. He had a, I want to say it was like a third and six. I want to just it. even call my name. He, he <laughs> <laughs> must not be named. It was like a third and six and he threw it short of the sticks. And I was wondering, I was like, all right, I want to find out for real. Like, does he have the most completions this year? Short that have failed on third and fourth down that were completions. He is unfortunately only 27th of 30 quarterbacks Uh, in that area. 
59 point, only 59.4%. So only every six out of 10 of Ben Roethlisberger's third or fourth down completions this year have gone for a first down. The best okay. quarterbacks in the league are at like 80, right? Yeah, I was going to say, so the, yeah. The only guys worse than him this season have been <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater, Davis yep. Mills, and Jared Goff. Yep. Okay. Okay. So that is what we're watching. Take solace in the TJ Watt aspect of this. I will say, yeah. we just watched this game like two weeks ago. <laughs> and I saw what happened. The, the Chiefs destroyed them. So I yeah. congratulations, I guess, Steelers fans. You get to watch your team in the playoffs. I mean, good for you. I I'm not excited about it. Like I'm not even gonna try to paint it any other way. I'm not excited to watch the Steelers in the playoffs. I'm not either. I know. I I, I it's you know, of course it's probably gonna turn some muck ball. I'm like, sure. I'm sure they're going fest. to win that's now, but it's just I, 17 13, here it comes. No fireworks for us. No, that that's exactly what's about to happen. And maybe, you know, we see the Chiefs DBs tackle one once or twice in this game. Maybe 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 the playoffs start so they they start uh wearing the relearning their fundamentals. But yeah, I know. it's I'm gonna watch, of course. You know, we it's gonna be one of those games, but I don't think it's gonna be exactly the 35 nothing. Blitz fast, basically, it started out a few weeks ago, but I, you know, it's just going to be, uh, I think, some a messy, messy type of game that the Steelers want. All right, so the Bills will host the Patriots now on Saturday night. The Patriots lose today to the Dolphins. I mean, it was a very strange sort of game. Week eighteen, then you want to kind of throw all of that stuff out, but it just feels like we've seen these two teams play. I mean, the last two game, the last time they played the second game they played this year was incredible. So I'm very much looking forward yep. to that game. Raiders will now travel to Cincinnati on Saturday yep. afternoon. Weird game. I mean, before this, <laughs> if we, I told you before the season that the Bengals would be hosting a playoff game against the Raiders, not it's sure Raiders. what you would have said. Yeah. Hey, I'm excited They're to watch the Bengals. Team. I mean, I, th- I think the Raiders, yeah. we talked about the Raiders. I mean, it's, I, Amazing story for them to get to this point is is yeah. truly impressive, and this Bengals team has been really fun to watch all year. So those are the AFC playoffs. And, and watching the Bengals kind of find their formula a little bit, really, it was this Raiders game. Like they they like started pounding the rock under center against them, but it was like after that game, I think they really had a coming to Jesus moment about what their offense is going to be. You don't need to so slam your head like, against the wall like that. Correct. Correct. Exactly. I, I the only thing I'm disappointed in is I'm actually very excited for the Bills Patriots game as well. Uh, I. I did want a Josh Allen, Justin Herbert Haas fight. I was very, very <laughs> excited for that. Uh, Brock Lesnar versus test like that. That was what I was looking for, but yeah, uh, I, I, it'll, it'll be still like a nice little matchup. I'm, I'm excited for that one. I am hoping to get to the Bengals Raiders game on Saturday and then fly to LA for Rams Cardinals. That'd be cool. my tentative plan right now. Either way for everyone. So that you guys know, we will have shows on Saturday night, Sunday night and Monday night after wild card games. So be ready for that because we are leaning yeah. wholeheartedly yeah. into this. Kirk Herb Street, eat your heart out. We're the real, <laughs> we're the real triple, triple headers. <laughs> we're covering it all. <laughs> all right. NSC Packers obviously get the buy the bucks hosting the Eagles, a game that is okay. possible because of the Rams loss. Strange yeah. game. I mean, we're going to go back and we're going to talk ad nauseum about all these games this week. We're going to go back and watch yes. the, the bucks Eagles game from earlier this year. No idea how much of that is applicable, right? Like the Eagles feel totally like a completely different, different team. Absolutely. So that, I mean, so much to go for there. And then the, the, the my, total opened up at 51 for that game, by the way. I think it's going to be a, I think, I think we're going to see some points if, if the game script goes right for the which Eagles. Which I would love. So, I would absolutely I would love, love it. it. 
So it's I, I want to Bucks are going to slice them up. <laughs> we are going to a lot of stuff to dig into. I want to talk about the Eagles defense a bunch this week. It's something that we were going to talk about yes. last week until some unforeseen things happened. So we're going to dig into all of these games. The game I'm most excited about, though, like the game that just on paper looks the prettiest as I look at this entire setup is the Cowboys hosting the, the yes. Niners for a million yes. different reasons. What? Right. Yep. Like yep. we love the stars in that game, but just the matchup in general. Like just yep. the nostalgia of it, like those two teams playing against one another. This is a dream game for yeah. the NFL. Great uniform matchup. Like yep. everything about this, I am very excited to watch. And then the Rams will play the Cardinals for the third time yeah, this year. Be fun. So I mean, it's cannot wait for it's the playoffs fun. to start. There is a lot for us to dig into. Anything else about just the matchups, about what this looks like, how it all fell, how it all fell that you want to dig into at all? The Cowboys Niners, yeah, you already nailed it. That's it. That one's gonna be so exciting to watch. Like just as a fan of these games, and it opened up at minus three, which is fair because it's like two te- even teams basically going at it. So I uh, minus three Cowboys, I should say. But it's but honestly, just some matching of styles. I know I like to say styles make fights, but it's it's cool again watching both of these offenses go at it, but also against these defenses that. You know, it's seeing the 49ers only rush four and see if they can get home against the Cowboys offensive line. That's been really up and down good overall, but up and down at times, depending on the matchup. And then on the flip side, just seeing this Cowboys defense so fast, but sometimes they uh, trade off aggression with soundness. <laughs> I think that's the nicest way I could put it uh, against a 49ers offense that literally that's what they take advantage of. That is what they are probing the entire game. It's trying to find that matchup that they want. So, oh, it's just going to be so cool just in the game script and all that. And then Rams Cardinals is going to be, I'm just excited. I could talk about all these. I'm so excited. But all the Rams Cardinals too, it's that the first time they played in LA, it's like, it feels like a season ago. I know. I mean, that such different vibes for these teams now, like some mostly the same, but then just, Big, big, big difference is obvious one with the Rams and who they've acquired and Robert Woods being out, but just the Cardinals having to remake, you know, with one one by one, all those guys just dropping like flies and then just Kyler having to be Kyler. And that's how they won that first game was a really friendly game script. And then Kyler just making some huge third down plays where he scrambled. So that one I'm really curious to watch too, of course. But yeah, that one's gonna be really fun. So if the favorites win in the AFC, we would have the Bengals going to Tennessee in the divisional yeah. round and the bills going to play the chiefs, which oh is just, that's a hell of a weekend. A divisional round weekend yeah. is the best weekend of football every single year. That is a hell of a weekend. If uh, in the AFC or in the NFC, it would be the Rams going to green Bay oh. and the Cowboys going to Tampa. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, so many things could happen between now and then, but just the roadmap and what this looks like right now, um, there is what a you want. lot to get excited about. Yeah, it's playoff football. It's I mean, what like, you want. I am I'm upset. I'm not upset. It's it's disappointing to me that we're not going to see Justin Herbert in the playoffs. Like yeah. the way the Colts play today, they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Like, that, the I way agree. they played over the last two weeks, like they lose those two games to the Raiders and the Jags. The Ra- the Colts do not deserve to be in the playoffs. I am still yeah. bummed about the Chargers not getting in and not getting to watch yeah. Justin Herbert on this stage after the season he had. Other than that. I'm good. Like I'm good with what the playoff field looks like. I'm excited about what the playoff field looks like. I agree. I I, and Derek Carr is not a bad constellation prize. He's been playing great ball this year. So like totally, you know that's gonna be fun. Make it see him make some plays and see Max Crosby get some, you know, some deserved praise for how he's played this year. So listen, that's the thing. It's not. It wasn't at the Raiders' expense. (laughs) 
I wanted the tie. Yeah. So, <laughs> I wanted the tie so, so I could watch I know, both of I them. Know. And I'm sorry, Steelers fans. It's just your quarterback. I can't. Uh, it just, <laughs> that's really, I hate to take it out on you. But it's better than, no offense, but like watching the Bears team last year make the playoffs. You oh, know, God. it's like, uh, well, we kind of knew it. At least What's we're all spared of that. I think it's the, I think the Cowboys Niners is the Nickelodeon game. How, is it seriously? How oh, different can me. you get from the slime fest awfulness that that game was last year <laughs> where Jimmy Graham is scoring a meaningless touchdown and the slime cannons are going off to a game Still between this Niners team and this Cowboys team. It's the complete oh. opposite ends of the spectrum. Oh, I know. Who, who's the Nickelodeon exec that got that? It was like, yeah, I get the matchup for this. <laughs> you got to circle it. Oh, that's great. All right. Let's start with the Broncos moving on from Vic Fangio today. Not surprising at all. It's a weird situation. I mean, my initial response to this is not makes sense. Figured it was coming, but also Vic Fangio did about as well as he probably could have in that job. Like some questionable in-game decision-making at times, you know, even the field goal that they kicked against the chiefs on Saturday, (laughs) they've been more aggressive this year than they had in the past. But I think that overall, there was always going to be a weird cap on whatever the Vic Fangio era looked like, especially with the quarterback situation. When he came out yesterday and they asked him what the difference was between their team and the other teams in the (laughs) AFC West, their team has quarterbacks. And that's exactly right. But when they, the moment they brought in George Payton last off season to kind of assess what was going on here, it felt like the writing was probably on the wall, independent of a miraculous season from the Vic Fangio staff. And that's kind of the point that we've reached. Like the charter, excuse me, the Broncos have to kind of sit back here and be like, all right, now what? Like what kind of coach and what kind of quarterback? Like what does this offseason look like for us? Because they have a decent core of young talent. If they can maybe retain Mike Munchak on that staff and have that be a part of this, they have things worth getting excited about. I thought that Vic Fangio did a fine job, but I can understand where the franchise, which has not made the playoffs in a while since they won the Super Bowl, and is not used to this sort of stretch, can look at this and say, you know what? We just need a change. Like even if Vic did an admirable job, we just need a change. I get that being the conclusion here. No, I I can't really add much more. It was, they they were seeing their, their ceiling with a quarterback like Teddy Bridgewater, because that's the ultimate kind of like stopgap quarterback is Teddy. Like that, that is the epitome of him and Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, those are those, that's their tool is they can go, they can allow you to evaluate everything else. And when you watch this team, it's, their offense, they got nice weapons. Like, they really do. Like, Corlin Weapons Sullen, they've committed uh, to, by the way. I mean, those guys are going to be yes, around. They, oh, even Tim Patrick they gave a contract to. and um, But also, the backs are nice. And the O-line's got some nice pieces. Like, uh, Cushenberry at center has really come along. They have the kid from uh, Division Three playing guard right now. We'll Quinn Miners. We'll, yep, my, thank you. And <laughs> I was like, uh, sorry, it's Quinn something, but I didn't want to butcher it. Uh, but, you know, so they have some pieces there. And especially on defense, too. They have some. I mean, Patrick Sertan's a star already as a rookie corner. They have Simmons. They have some nice stuff. And then, but that's the thing is they don't have a quarterback. And whoever goes in there is going to know that and go, okay, well, what's our, I, I, if I'm interviewing for it and they're throwing me the job, be like, what's our plan? Like to who we're putting behind Sarah. We're not putting Drew Locke anymore. starts, are we? He still only knows one read. Um, so that's what I, 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 whoever goes in there, that's, that's what's going to be. And that's what it's, it's weird for Fangio. It's just like he's not, that difference maker type of a coach that can like really eke out maybe that extra couple wins on the offense. He's a defensive genius. I think we all know that, but 
you know, that's what we, that's what they've reached. They kind of hit this wall and it's like, well, this is the end of this path because they just don't have that difference maker at quarterback that can really excel, you know, make this team go up a tier or two. That's just what it is. It just feels like everybody was just like, yeah, we're good for a reset. Like, I think everybody was on board. Like Fangio was like, I'm going to go be D coordinator somewhere. That's what it always felt like. It just always felt like that coming into the season. It just felt like this was a lame duck year for Fangio and they were going to move on after the Peyton hire. And now it's one of those things where you can sit there and say, Vic Fangio did a decent job. We want someone else to oversee the quarterback plan, the next stage of this. And I think that's where they are. Every single, and I'm sure these calls have already happened. I made a joke about it today. I'm sure they've already happened. Every single prospective head coach that is going to be walking into an interview over the next two weeks should be in Vic Fangio's text messages right now. I don't know if Vic Fangio texts, but you should be reaching out to Vic Fangio right now. And part of me was like, I'm wondering how many people he's already talked to. The Harbaugh thing aside, it doesn't feel like Vic Fangio is one of those guys who has a ton of all these friends in the league. Right, right. Yep. Like he's chatting with people all of the time. It feels like he's game he's, planning. Yes. It feels like he might be sected off enough where you gave him a call. It's like, all right, you want to come with us? Because I think everybody should be trying to do that because you look at some of these hires that have worked out, right? Like Wade Phillips going with McVeigh. Like that could yeah. be this type of thing. If you could sell somebody yeah. on a guy like him, I think that would be huge for some of these prospective head coaches. And if you don't love your defensive coordinator, like if you could give him a call, like he's going to be in demand and rightfully so here over the next that, month or so. Is that so funny? He just gets fired as a head coach and you become the prettiest girl at the dance. Like, which I think like, is great, it, though. I for coordinators oh, like yeah, this, it's, it's I think it makes total sense. Well, I think what you just said, and I'm not trying to like, maybe I am a little bit, but dog it a little bit is what you said. He's not the one texting, not the one you know networking, doing all that because he's a coach. And if you're a, a coach that becomes one in power, it's like that is what you want as your number two. It's like, hey, grind on your side of the ball. If I'm an offensive guy, now I can like, okay, if I have an offensive coordinator, I'm grooming to maybe call plays. I'm calling plays myself. It's just what you said with the Sean McVay, Wade Phillips thing. Because how many times did you see Sean McVay sitting on the bench with golf? You can contract it out. You don't have to worry yep. about it. You can give just him a side done. of the ball. Not only does it make what are you, you calling out there down? Okay, sounds good. That's that's your meeting. <laughs> it makes that's, you a more it. attractive candidate, and it yep. allows you to be hyper focused on whatever your side of the ball is going to look like. I, I think he could make a very very attractive piece for any sort of package that a head coach is trying to bring staff wise. Because that matters, yep. right? When you walk into a head coach interview, it does. what is your staff going to look like? If you say yep. my defensive coordinator is Vic Fangio, that's pretty good. And yeah. there is a possibility. Guess what? That John Harbaugh, or excuse me, that. Jim Harbaugh would be able to say that yeah, Jim. <laughs> for when whatever jobs he's after. And if it's in yeah. Vegas, it's in Vegas. But if that pairing happens, then it's not a bad place to be. Hey, baby, I'm getting the band back together. That's what I mean. That's how he could sell himself. <laughs> like That's pretty nice. <laughs> Speaking of potentially in demand defensive coordinators, Mike Zimmer has said, according yes. to the athletics own Chad Graff, that he has not heard about his job status. It feels like this is probably the end, right? It feels like the Vikings are probably going to move on. Mike Zimmer should be an in-demand defensive coordinator. I mean, same kind of deal. I think the Fangio is probably number one on the power rankings, number one on the big board, but I think that Zimmer will definitely have some looks. Yep. The Viking situation is a lot naughtier than the Charger or oh the Broncos situation, right? Broncos have a lot of cap space. They know they need a quarterback. Vikings yep. do not have a lot of cap space. They have a lot of older, expensive players and a very expensive quarterback, I don't know what the next stage of the Vikings franchise should look like. Yeah, especially defensive guys that have played 
in that one defense. That Anthony like Barr. They are, yeah, Anthony Barr, Harrison Smith, uh, you know, Kendricks, the, the front. I mean, there's just so many of these guys that are their core guys. It's like that's – now you get into a chicken and egg thing. Is that because of the stuff that they're running or, you know, that, or if you get them out there, it's now they could fall apart. They probably won't. They're all pretty good players. But it's – I I think that's exactly what we said about Fangio, copy and paste for what Zimmer. I mean, if you're a head coach candidate – or even a guy that's like, man, I, I need some fresh blood on defense. You know, we're kind of stagnant over there. We're kind of running this. Hey, let's get a guy that's going to juice up, juice us up on third down every week. We're going to have, we know that we're going to have an advantage on third down defense every single week. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. That's just statistically proven <laughs> with the Vikings defenses under Zimmer. But that's such an advantage. That's such an ace in the hole to have, especially say you're an offense. I mean, you're an offense that blows people out of the water, but you can't stop anybody on defense unless you bring Zimmer in. It's like, hey, this here we go. We're going to get some turnovers. We're going to get a lot of big plays on third down and get them off the field. Like, there's an answer there. But everything we say about Fangio should apply to Zimmer. Same exact thing. It's just that his tree is just so much different because he's you can't see the picture of where he could go as much, I think, with Fangio. You know, it's kind of funny how that works a little bit. Like, you, you don't see what – I don't know what reunion would happen with Zimmer or what, you know, possible connection could happen. Like, it could be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's been there for a while, right? I mean, he's been a head coach yeah. for a while. There aren't that many direct connections just because he's had his own shop for so long. So yeah. where he's going to be in demand and where he eventually goes will be really interesting. And then whatever this, I guess, rebuild looks like for the Vikings. I mean, if they keep Rick Spillman yeah. and then they – Say, well, let's bring in a new coach. What do they do at quarterback? It's going to be a fascinating yep. offseason for them. Yep. It seems like there are some rumblings that David Culley might be out after one year as the Texans head coach. Our, at, our Jeff Howe at The Athletic says they plan for a while to meet this week to finalize their decision on him a couple weeks ago. It seemed <laughs> like for a while to have their meeting. Sorry, I cut you off, but it's just the wording of that's amazing. <laughs> Two, a couple weeks ago, he was expected to be retained. So there's a lot to be considered here. Obviously, the Josh yeah. McDaniels connection with Nick Casario is going to be part of this. Always. I don't know. David Coley did what, as well as he could do. Like that Props team, that team, what they've looked like at times this year and even this week, Davis Mills looked pretty darn good for a rookie quarterback, yes. especially compared to the other rookie quarterbacks in this class at times. Their defense yeah. vastly outperformed expectations so much better than you think i was very very hesitant about the lovey smith hire and their defense ended up being pretty good when you consider the talent that they had i mean an extremely overachieving unit so i mean there's nothing david cully could have done this is one of those things where you bring him in to fall on the sword and you have one season where you have no talent you have one of the worst rosters in the entire nfl they perform admirably and you still decide that it might be time to move on. I mean, there's literally nothing else he could have done. Absolutely. You, you, if you're putting him in that situation, yeah, there's no win with it. Now you just give him a golden parachute. Like that's, that's the reward of it all. And, and that's honestly, we got props to him. Cause that's like, every time we talked about the Texans, like, Hey, they, they're doing some cool stuff like on offense and defense. So it was like, and their guys were playing tough every week. Like that, I don't know. It was like uh, it was actually pretty funny though that the stat that came up they only went for it was the second time all year they went for a two point conversion was in week eighteen like up until this point they've only gone for two once this entire season that was pretty cra- just a crazy stat to hear you know in twenty twenty two now but it, it's that's exactly it he fell on the sword it's the weirdest one of the weirdest situations in the league we just have kind of put it on on the side burner for a while, but we'll probably get right back into Texans talk as soon as Jan- as soon as this month unfolds and we see kind of the dominoes start falling. 
So it sounds like the Lions are going to part ways with Anthony Lynn. Not a surprise. I mean, he was not given play calling duties or stripped of play calling duties earlier in the season. And I always felt like that was probably going to happen. Not a surprise there. I thought what they did offensively at times this season was really fun, was yeah. really encouraging for what it might look like moving forward. I don't know who makes sense as a play caller for them, but you know, kind of the whatever they've From got bottled up player. here. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> they've got bottled up here offensively, just kind of the overall feeling and approach. I, I have enjoyed it. So if they can I kind of too. tap into that with whoever they end up picking, that would be encouraging. Pete Carroll will meet with Seahawks owner or chairwoman Jody Allen this week, according to Michael Shandugar, our Seahawks writer. Says he doesn't have any doubts about his future. I mean, I don't know what they're going to end up doing. We've had a long, we've had plenty of conversations about the Seahawks' future and what it might look like on this show. We had Mina on a couple weeks ago to discuss that. It feels like rolling with the status quo is yeah. not in their best interest, but who knows at this point. And then the other last kind of bit here, Matt Rule, I mean, some of the reports today about him needing a rock star offensive coordinator. Don't we all need a rock star offensive coordinator? I don't know don't what to say all. about that. First team I ever heard say that, so, especially a guy that has an offensive background. That's what cracks me up even more. By the way, That's like- this is why there are so many different reasons. This is why if I were hiring a head coach, it would be very, very hard to convince me not to hire an offensive-minded play-calling head coach. Because guess what you don't need to worry about when you have that formula? (laughs) You don't need to worry about trying to find a rock star offensive coordinator (laughs) that if you find one, he's gone in a year. The rock stars, there are, you know how many rock star offensive coordinators are available? Very few. Because the rock star offensive coordinators are head coaches somewhere. That's what they are. They get plucked up pretty quickly, and you—it's like it's—it happens for a reason. It's kind of like, hey, this guy's really smart. Let's hire him. That's usually how it unfolds. And then, the, what's so funny is they—I mean, you can think about Joe Brady, what you want, but it's so funny that that guy was supposed to be the rock star offensive coordinator. That was like, yes, the, that was like, what, that was yes. the big hire. That was the big hire. And then Phil Snow was kind of like, oh wow, we're not really—you know—he's a college guy. And it's like, how funny that changes. So like. One guy's no, we talk about falling on a sword like that right there. That's exactly what happened. It's like, oh, shoot. All right. That's not my first guy. You're out. That's what happened to Joe Brady. I know that whole situation. How about we haven't talked about Joe Judge yet, but it is. Oh, we're about funny to. That, <laughs> it's funny that the, the Giants, their final two was between Joe Judge and Matt Rule, which tells you all about their hiring process. <laughs> By all accounts. So Jay Glazer came out and tweeted during the late game today. Oh, it's his Super Bowl, by the way. It was. <laughs> He was excited. (laughs) Sounds like the Giants are mulling over the decision whether or not to move on from Joe Judge. They don't want to because of the revolving door that has existed with their head coaching job. We talked about this with Mitch a couple weeks ago, that when they said they were going to retain him, this all felt like an optics move to say, don't worry about it. Everything is fine here. We are past that point, though. Like We are past that point. What has happened over the last couple weeks with that press conference and then what happened today? When you go for a quarterbacks, you cannot talk the way that he has talked. You cannot present yeah. yourself as this sort of team. You can't call other organizations a clown show and then come no. out and play the way that they have over the last month or so and run quarterback yeah. sneaks on third down when you were just rolling over and giving up. You cannot yeah. present yourself as this beacon 
of toughness and organization and discipline and then look like they have. I understand that moving on from him right now would make you a punchline as a franchise. Guess what? You already are one. You already are one. So what is the benefit of this? You are presenting some sort of delusional outward message to everyone else that it's really not that bad over here when we can all see how bad it is over here. Like as the rain just is pouring down and everyone's getting sopping wet, you can't tell us it's not raining. It doesn't matter how you want to do this. And it really does feel like the Giants have reached that point. Would it be devastating to move on from another coach if you were that organization? Absolutely. But at this point, why? Like, what are you talking yourself into? What is the reason to keep doing this? We're going to get into some coach conversations on Tuesday's show or Wednesday's show this week. It's about where we look for them and everything else. And I have a lot of things I've been thinking about and kind of mulling over about executives and coaches and all this other stuff. But I think the biggest thing that I've come down on here as we look at some of these scenarios, bulky, Joe Judge, Ryan Pace, you don't have to do this. There, There yeah. is nothing There's that is forcing there. you to hold on to this version of a franchise, this version of who you wanted to be that has clearly slipped away. There is nothing. Yeah. There's nothing stopping you from saying, we need to start over. We need to figure this out. I think that moving on from a coach consistently all the time is bad for you. But if you're already moving on from the GM in New York, if you're already moving on from the coaches in Chicago and Jacksonville, what is the reason for keeping half of the rotten foundation that has slowly been stripped away over the last three or four years? What is the possible rationale of wanting to bottle something that has been toxic for you and keep it there? I just don't understand it. I don't understand it in any of these scenarios. It's like, honestly, it's like, I don't know if it's gambler's fallacy or whatever, but it's like, honestly, I keep betting the wrong thing. But if I go 50-50 here with the GM and I fire the coach, I, or one of these has got to be correct. Either me firing the GM or firing the coach and me keeping the GM. But it's honestly, it's like, hey, let's just, let's just blow it up. And honestly, like you said, like what? Why are you keeping one of the rotted pieces? It's not like there was like this guy before. It was like, oh man, they were winning 10 games every single year. They had two bad years with the new coach, but we know we'll get this one with the next guy. It's not like it's every one of these teams has gotten worse under this management. And it's not like, what other signs are there? The, their swings for the fences have all missed. Or if you're Balky, not even taking a swing, but saying everyone else took a swing. Like that's what he likes to do. But it's like, you know, in the Giants, it's like they're all in this year. I mean, they were, and I mean, they couldn't even field. I I think they couldn't even field a full roster because of salary cap limitations for this week. Like, honestly, what, like, why, like, what is the upside here? Because he traded for the first time in the first round to to the Bears, who are now talking about his GM too. Like, it's just like all these guys. It's just like they're betting the wrong sides, and it's like you got to have some self awareness and go like, okay, our process is not good. So let's let's start anew as opposed to just, Oh man, we're 80% there, 20% here. Like just figure out, like just talking yourselves into like going like, well, if this happens, this happens, this happens. Guess what? It's football. A lot of like random things happen, but when you're random, random things happen, it just keeps ending in bad things. You're not getting unlucky. It's just, you're making shit decisions. <laughs> like that's, that is, that's all you have to know. You have to know the self-awareness of that. But some people like to put their head in the sand, just say, no, 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 it's somebody else's fault. People are going to point to what happened with Jason Light in Tampa, and they're going to say, well, what if we did this? You know, what, <laughs> what, 
If you want to go get Tom Hall Brady, Fame quarterback. Yeah, if you want to go get the greatest quarterback of all time in free agency on a reasonable deal, that's yeah. fine. But it just it doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. So a couple more things to hit before we move on here. It sounds like Kevin Colbert is going to be moving on after the draft as the GM of the Steelers. I mean, this is a team, and again, this is part of the conversation. I don't when we're looking at teams to emulate. We're looking at where you should model your front office on or look for the types of people that maybe we should try to bottle this. It doesn't have to be Super Bowl winners. It has to be teams that consistently win 10, 12 games a year that are never losing. The Steelers have been that under Kevin Colbert, right? They have been one of the most consistent franchises in the entire league. He has done a very, very good job of keeping that team competitive for a really long time. They have a couple in-house potential options there to possibly take over. I don't know what's going to end up happening after the draft. You know, we've seen this happen a couple different times. I think the Ravens are kind of the perfect example. Yeah. And the Packers the Packers are another Packers one, right? Well. Right. So you yep. look at it and you just have these guys who are homegrown guys that have been there forever. I mean Eric DaCosta, who is the Ravens GM now, was yep. Ozzy Snoop Ozzy right hand man for, for twenty forever. years, right? And then <laughs> yeah. eventually takes over. He knows the bones of what they want it to be and what that process should look like. And it's seamless when it transitions. The same thing has happened with Brian Gutkunst in Green Bay. Obviously, it's been an eventful couple of years for him (laughs) with everything that's gone on. But if you look at it, the way that process works has ultimately worked out for that team. And that's kind of when you're thinking about what we want to be as a team, what we want to be as an organization. These are the types of teams that I think you should look at. It doesn't have to be the teams that won a Super Bowl because winning a Super Bowl is random sometimes, right? Being the yep. best team, you need bounces of the ball. There's nothing yep. random about winning 10 games a year for 10 years. Every year. There is nothing random about that. So what yep. the Steelers have done under Colbert and what that succession plan ends up looking like is going to be really interesting. Yeah, that shocked me. And actually, I saw it like, I, I think I saw Ian Rappaport's tweet like five hours after his tweet. And I was like, whoa, why, why am I not seeing this kind of pop up more? Because that's exactly it. Like we we just knocked the Giants and the Jags and even the Bears for, you know, like saying like, oh, they want continuity and all this. But this is what real continuity looks like because they actually have results from the continuity. It's like, I know it's like you're saying, oh, yeah, well, it's process and results, but their process is good. How many different kind of flavors of the Steelers team have we seen over the years? Whether they leaned on defense, where they leaned on the run game, where they leaned on the passing game, even when Big Ben was chucking it around. Like that speaks the team building. Like they, they, it wasn't just like we have one way and this is our one way to win, win the football games. They weren't Wisconsin for the last 20 years. Like they, they found different ways to attack and different ways to mold a team. And that starts at the top. I mean, that's why they're the Steelers. That's why they've had three head coaches in a hundred years. It feels like, like they pride that and they take, like they know how to build like the entire thing. Maybe it's hard to be, he's a stiller, you know, as they say through and through, you know, the Ravens is more of a kind of like that business side, I guess. And maybe that was like a little difference, but it's like, that's, but there's a reason that they're successful teams. There's a reason that those AFC battles were just year after year with those two teams. It's because they're franchises, even when different flavors of what they are, they've adapted because it starts at the top. And it's a, it's a coach or a GM or both that know what they want with their teams. And that changes every single year. Every team has to have a new identity every single year, whether we want to say it goes, you know, it's a, a whole franchise, it's a whole team building thing, but that's what smart GMs do. And he is, he has been one. They've identified talent in the middle rounds. That's when you really know these guys are hitting because they found different types of players in the middle rounds. And it's been really cool. Or the end of the first round, like TJ Watt, 
<laughs> that also helps too. These teams, when we look at them, when you look at these teams that are really good consistently every single year or just in it every single year, for yeah, the most part, it. the Rams are decidedly, I mean, and the Rams haven't done it for a decade like some of these other teams have. The Rams are a decided outlier in the way that they think about their resources yes. and process. But a team like the Ravens, a team like the Packers, a team like the Steelers, it can feel boring at times. This draft, yeah. develop, patience, lack of urgency in some of the free agent decisions that mm-hmm. they make, they're always around. They're always consistent. When you think about that connective tissue of the rosters and the ways they find those guys, you build that because you have extra third and fourth round picks coming yep. out of your ears every single year. Like yep. I, I just – this is a they don't lo- chase pitches. This is that's a lot. They, yes, they, they, they never do. They don't and, chase pitches, and that's there. This is just a larger discussion that we're, I do want to get into this week. I think we have to change the way we think about this stuff. I think you have to change. Like Ryan Pace is a perfect example. When you're looking at the argument for keeping Ryan Pace, I don't care that there are some fourth or fifth round picks over the last few years that have hit. I don't even care what the draft record looks like for some of these guys because for the most part, that is always going to end up between like 50 and 60%. Some version yeah. of that little thing. There are teams that are terrible at drafting. Like That, that yeah. happens. For the most yeah. part though, that stuff is going to come out in the wash. What is your process for finding players? What is your plan for four or five years to keep this consistent? What is the vision? Not how good are you at picking players in the fourth round? Because for the most part, I think that's going to ping pong enough that that shouldn't be the most important thing. Yeah. When you're always feeling like you're drafting for need. Once yes. you get to that point, that's when you're like, oh God, we're because you're always chasing. Like you're you're a hitter that's hit swinging outside the box and it's like some uh, outside the strike zone. It's like, yeah, sometimes you connect like cool, but then you're also going to miss three of those pitches and like, yeah, but like the process isn't good. That's the only way to put it. And that's what like a bears team, especially as you know, it was just, it always felt like they just chasing. They're like, oh man, they need line help. Oh man, they need, you know, this help. They need receiver help. Like, and it just always feels like they're trying to get that next pick and then turn into quarterback help, but maybe they hit on that one, but it's all that that's the same thing. Same thing. Quarterback like help is fine. That's that's no yes, can yes, yes. do it. But like with the Ravens every year, it's like, man, who which position are they gonna go for? I guess they go receiver, I guess they go linebacker. Like, you know, they it's kind of like you're trying to find all these B needs as opposed to A needs, like all these they need to draft a tackle here because you know, but then you're starting rookies and prime roles and it as opposed to like, oh, let's draft this guy in the second round, like an Orlando Brown. Let's draft this other guy, or I think he's in the third round, actually, even. But it's like those guys don't need to be a stars right away. It's like if they struggle, they can take time to develop. And that's why you see guys like I'm uh, like uh, Judon, like also sign these big contracts because they have a process and it seems like just year after year. And like you said, we make jokes about it and everyone's like, oh, Ozzy and the comp picks, like there they are again. But it's like, there's a reason. There's a reason that they win 10 games. Like there's a reason they were able to pivot to Lamar like that. It's because they had a process in place. And yeah, that's why they reap the, reap the rewards of it all. I think Dallas is another good example. If you're looking at teams over the last five years, what they've been able to do, but those are the types of things that you want to try to tap into. All right. So we're going to have a lot more about some of the coaching news and everything else tomorrow. Sando's actually going to come on and recap all of the news that happens on Monday morning, firings, where teams are going. We're going to have that come out in the middle of the day on Monday. So be on the lookout for that. It's going to be an extra episode. We'll still do the mailbag with Mitch heading into Tuesday. Speaking of that, if you guys want to give us a call, leave us a voicemail. I'd really appreciate it. It's 872-222-7073. If you want to send us an email, 
athleticfootballshow at gmail.com. A little bit more housekeeping, like you mentioned earlier. If you look at the schedule and what it's going to look like this week, we are going to have a Saturday night show after the first set of wildcard games. That's me and you, buddy. I hope you know that. You're going to be around on Saturday night. I'm going to be at one of those games on Saturday, so hopefully we're going to have some on-site reactions from one of our team writers, and then the normal show that we would have on Sunday, on Saturday. We're also going to have our Sunday show, and then hopefully I'm going to be at that game on Monday night, and we'll have a reaction on Tuesday morning. So every single day we will have a reaction to the games in wildcard weekend. So please pay attention to that. Because we love you guys. It's You know what? Why not? <laughs> We're getting close to the end. Let's just throw it all out there. We did 33 episodes in December. So if you guys oh also, just something to keep an eye on. We have so many local shows for the playoff teams. So many really good local shows. We have a Chiefs podcast with Nate Taylor called 1% Better that I would highly recommend checking out. We have a Bills podcast. We have a Bengals podcast called Hear That Podcast Growling. If you are a fan of these teams, you are well covered heading into the postseason. I will mention the names of even more of those here over the next week or so. We will have some of those writers on from those playoff games. So please check out our local shows if you have never listened to those before. This is the time to get hooked as we get ready for the playoffs. For now, really appreciate you guys listening. We will be back tomorrow with Sando on Monday in the middle of the day. And we'll be back on Tuesday with a mailbag with Mitchell Schwartz. Until then, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.